Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living Life Aloud. I'm your host, Jason Wiggin. So I invite you to join me on a journey to better understanding hearing loss and its impact on your life. As someone who began losing their hearing in their late teens and is now an audiologist, I've had my own personal journey, and I want to share yours. I want to hear from you, and I want to help you and be able to be more confident and have a better quality of life. So let's start living life aloud. Today we have Anna Hartke. She is a young professional living in D.C. with roots in Ohio and Michigan. She considers herself a lifelong educator, serving within the federal government on education topics, and most recently worked with college students in career services. She is an individual with hearing loss. She is a proud user of hearing aids and a big believer in living a life without limits. I now bring you Anna Hartke. All right, folks, today I'm with Anna Hartke. We were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, colleague, mentor, right? Uh, we both um, were at the Ohio State University, not at the same time, but uh, that is where our connection comes from. So this is part of our story series. I definitely want to uh, let everyone know that. So uh, you're going to hear from Anna and uh, her journey and basically how things have shaped her life or how she has, I guess, navigated the hearing loss, navigated her education, her social experiences, her relational experiences with, uh, with hearing loss. So Anna, thank you again so much for joining me today. We're very, very excited to, uh, to learn about you. So let's, so let's start with identification, right? At what point did hearing loss become a consideration? Was this something that began affecting you? Yeah. So thanks for having me, Jason. So my hearing loss was identified when I started talking. My mom's an educator. I, I was sensitive to my speech and development. And so I first was identified with my hearing loss at three years old. It's also when I got my first hearing aids. So as long as my memory can go back, I have always had hearing aids. I've always had a hearing loss. I've never known anything different. So and about me is that I am deaf in my right ear and I have a moderate to severe sloping loss in my left ear. Um, so that, that's me. And I have the hearing aids in 2012. I got the Phonak Cross system. So now I can hear in my right ear, which is still wild to me all these years later. And the first night I had them, I think I went to bed at 8 p.m. because my brain was so exhausted trying to figure out sounds for the first time ever. But that's me. Hearing loss was identified at three. And so it's just, I think it's just a fact about me. It's something about me. Right. So previously you said you had gotten a cross system in 2012. So previously were you unilaterally at one uh, hearing aid that you had? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. I only had one hearing aid for, I guess that was the vast majority of my life. Okay. So uh, tell me, so again, you were three years old, so you're from a toddler, if you will, you know, um, at, at some point, though, there had to have been a 
realization of differences, maybe of just some considerations that that you had and maybe some teachers did of you, um, not to, you know, single you out in any way, but that there were some challenges that you were unique to you but about what, what age, where, where did that come in and uh, what did that look like? I think my earliest memory of recognizing I was different, if you will, I just have this memory in first grade of there was a book on um, hearing aids and, or maybe it was just a book on technology. And there was a photo of maybe the first hearing aids that ever were. And I remember seeing that in first grade and it's, it's odd. I've never, I don't think my parents know that memory. I just remember seeing it and knowing what hearing aids used to look like and probably the thought process of cool. I'm so glad they don't look like that anymore. Um, and that was <laughs> it. So my parents and audiologists, my family, I think are so instrumental in I, my hearing loss is just my hearing loss. I really think it's just a fact about me and the language they used from a young age. I just kind of went with it. I also had amazing school teachers who really, I, I think went the distance of including me and, and, um, recognizing I, I could have challenges. My first memory, though, of assistive technology, so really feeling different in the classroom, was fourth or fifth grade. So that's when I'm so glad technology is what it is today. But in fourth and fifth grade, I had a box on my desk that was basically an external speaker is my best way of describing it. And my teacher, my fifth grade teacher, wore what I call the Britney Spears microphone. It was like the microphone that comes down in front, right, like full Britney Spears look up. And my classmates called it that, too. Uh, and I was fine. It was just, again, okay, so this is what Anna has. But this, it's an external microphone. Picked up the speakers, and I would sit behind it. And technology is something I think we should celebrate more. It's come so far since even then. And so now I have – so now this is probably jumping too far ahead in questions. But now I use the Phonak Roger pen. So the, this difference in sizes – and the fact sure. that the Roger pen only goes straight to my hearing aids is just just huge technological gaps. So, so yeah, to answer your question, I feel like maybe fourth or fifth grade when I got that microphone box set up was maybe the first time I thought, huh, no one else really has this. But I went to the same elementary school. And so my peers all already knew that I had a hearing loss at this point. So okay. everybody just kind of went with it. Right. So, so I guess to back up a little bit, where'd you grow up? Oh, Columbus, Ohio. All yeah. in Columbus so Ohio, from yeah. day one. Okay. And uh, my backyard. So I okay. definitely got to grow up with the, the benefit, the Ohio State Audiology Speech and Language Clinic. Right. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And so, so socially or as again and it was who you are right three years old you start school kindergarten you know preschool kindergarten what have you they know uh, that's Anna and that's great that's really great I mean that's that's that is something that I'm sure you've you know maybe met some of the folks or definitely just as you've you know grown into adulthood right that you know someone who is maybe a middle schooler or high schooler now has to start wearing hearing aids it's you know it's a different kind of social challenge and dynamic. So did you, well, number one, I should say you've had some extensive speech language therapy because you, especially you identified at three years of age with a hearing loss and even a unilateral one, which admittedly for our listeners, the, the speech and language development in a unilateral 
situation. Well, I shouldn't say that. You had a bilateral loss. I'm sorry. So it wasn't both ears. It's just that right ear was so much worse to profound. And okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so t- tell us a little bit about that. What was that like for you? You, again, just as far as talking with you and, you know, your 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 presence and your speech and language is it's there. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's been for all intents and purposes um, developed with your normal hearing peers. So that's great. So tell us a little bit about that. What was that like, especially going through school and having that? Yeah, so I don't remember this, but what I'm told from my parents is that after my speech classes, my mom and dad would sit with me and I would feel their face when they talked. And then I would put my hands on my face and talk. And so I learned, I I suppose that's partly how I learned speech. Um, I do remember going to speech therapy. I don't remember loving going because it in. To me, it was I could be playing with my friends, but now I have to go to speech therapy. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I don't know if I enjoyed it or didn't like it, but I have one speech therapist stands out in my mind. So for anyone who's listening to this, okay. the teacher who or the therapist who let me bring my own book to the session and we got to read from my favorite book. That stands out in my mind. And I think it was because I got to bring what I wanted to talk about. It was, it's a, uh, it like broke down barriers. I liked her. I wanted to be with her then. Sure. So, but how old were you? But how old were you when that uh, was was going on? Third, fourth grade, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I, I, brought, to, uh, I brought Laura Ingalls Wilder, one of the Laura Ingalls Wilder um, Little House on the Prairie books. Yeah. Neat. I mean, that's neat. how much I remember doing it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I then, loved those books. Loved those books. Sure, and incorporating your interests. Uh, you know, so the sessions would was 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 a big deal. Wow, yeah. yeah. And uh, at what point, if there was a point, did um, and again, we have you know parents listening, and and you know, not just hearing impaired individuals or individuals with hearing loss themselves. Um, at what at what point did uh, speech end, if you will? When were you uh, done? I have no idea. That's that's a good question. What I wonder, and looking back on my life, I wonder if the fact that I enjoyed theater was helpful in my wow. speech. Is I I really enjoyed acting. Uh, I don't anymore, but I did from a young age. Um, yeah, I wonder if that that was helpful. Um, but then I also was I got my hearing aids at such a young age too that I'm certain that had to have been instrumental in my own speech development of how I listened and perceived sound. Well, sure, sure. The the access piece, you know, you have to have good access to sound, you know, but you also need to in, incorporate that to the, you know, phonetic discoveries of different phonemes of different sounds. And, and like you're saying, with your your hands on your parents face and even on your own, that's, you know, I'm, I am not a speech pathologist. I have a rudimentary knowledge as a sister you know, profession um, to audiology, but it is something to make you aware of the maybe even errors that you may have made right in in some of the more difficult phonemes and consonant sounds, S's, F's, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and knowing that there's that 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 dental piece, the labial dental where you put your teeth on your lips and things like that. So that's that's good stuff. Well another uh thing that's related to speech and feeling, I was really involved in choir in high school. 
And my high school choir director once said to me that I memorized sound not off, not off of hearing the sound, but how it felt in my, my voice. And so he was saying, that's something we work really hard with professional musicians to go by feel, not sound. And I just naturally did that. I think it's, I'm sure it's certain with many people that you talk to, the things that we kind of utilize without realizing that we're utilizing other ways to complement that gap of hearing. And I was complimenting it with the feel. Wow, that's great. I mean, communication strategies in general to to complement, you know, you your your listening ability by be it nonverbal cues, the facial recognition, yeah. speech reading, to you know, lip reading, but the speech reading and things like that. Yeah. And that's that's funny you say that because and that's great to know. Um I of course am, you know, have have hearing loss myself. I'm bilaterally implanted. When I have my implant processors off. And this is very common with individuals, be it hearing aids or, or you know, cochlear implants. People will report they talk louder, you know, or they you lose the ability to regulate the volume and the intensity of your voice. So I may be talking louder or someone with their hearing aids or implants off may be talking louder. But until they feel right that their voice is stronger they feel the resonation maybe or so that's 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 neat that's interesting that that is a a, a piece of coral of of, yeah. of a singer's development that that is something they look to 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 innately do is to to monitor that at that level not just you know what you hear in the wow well good for you that's great so so singing still is this uh still part of your life do you at least a hobby you know honestly you know you might not do it yeah, it's, it's a hobby Definitely a hobby. I'm involved in my church choir. Yeah. So uh, to to use that to springboard a bit into music. So music appreciation. Um, of course, a musician tuning their instruments, things like that. I was in high school. I was in band in high school and college. I played the saxophone. Um, and that now. I'm not forgiving it, but I did, I lost the ability to tune my instrument, right? I know it didn't sound the way it should have. And this isn't a discussion on implant sound, hearing aid sound. Actually, I wasn't implanted at the time, but did you find that difficult? Again, as you said with the teacher, you know, you, your, your instructor, if you will, that, you know, being able to feel that sound, but as far as your performance, as far as even music appreciation in general, you know, now you were hearing, you know, had hearing loss identified from an early age. So your musical experience was pretty much based on a level of hearing loss. But did you find that, um, did that challenge you in any way as far as being a performer? So the only challenge was when I had tinnitus. So I occasionally have tinnitus. Um, we don't really understand why or how. So in high school, so I took voice lessons in high school and had what we discovered. And I have no idea if anyone else has scientifically or medically researched this. But what I recall is that tinnitus changed the sound. It was either half a step up or, or down to what the sound actually was. And my voice teacher and I worked together really to train my mind when I hear a sound, understanding what that sound really was. Uh, 
So, so tinnitus is the only time when I have noticed that what you're speaking of. And I, I call it buzzing for me. The sound is the sound of a buzzing, like a low hum. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's partly why I hate tinnitus is that it, I love music. I love music and it changes the enjoyment of music for me. Okay. So how does it, does it interfere with your listening to it? Is it a focus like, okay, I hear this buzzing. I know it's not a part of the song. Um, so it changed the tone or the pitch by the pitch. I think it would change the pitch. Yep. Of the music that you appreciate it. So here's what's interesting is with my tinnitus, I notice harmonies more and I was a second soprano. So it it was so annoying and frustrating and I hated having tinnitus when I was singing more consistently but I did hear the harmonies better. And okay, that so, was part of what being a second soprano was. So both. So your appreciation of just music, listening to music, radio, streaming, what have you. And then also as performing, you found it problematic to actually maintaining proper tone. The well, notes. That's, where, that's where I learned from my choir director how I, I memorized the feel. So if I was learning a new song with tinnitus, it was frustrating and exhausting. Yeah. Um, I didn't enjoy it. But if it was if it was a song that I already knew and that was a time when I was experiencing the buzzing sounds, I could sing it fine because it was off of feel. Okay. And feel by, you know, you're in middle C, you're at I'm I'm not talking ignorantly, or you're at high a higher B flat or okay. No, more like feel of I know this song. So I'm gotcha. certain that somebody who uh, is blind, the feel of the piano. Okay. To know where they were. I'm okay. certain it's that that's kind of, it's a jump, but, you know, a fair, fair, fair equation between the two. Sure. Yeah. So when did you start singing? What the, what age? Was it always a part of your life or when did you, when did you, it really? Oh, always. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the youngest of two two daughters. So my sister and I would put on shows and uh, have. I was we were very involved in our church vacation Bible school, and so that of course has songs and motions that go with the songs. So now oh, I feel like we were always a singing household, singing in the car. Yeah. yeah. We love musicals as a family. That's great. That's great. So outside of uh, so again taking through into, you know, your preteen years and your, you know, did you encounter any kind of, you know, just general social dynamic challenges, social development challenges that, uh, you know, you could share with us. I'm I'm sure it's very, not common. All all experiences are pretty unique, but there are common themes. Well, middle school is not a great time to be different. So I a great time to be anything. I tell you what, my kids are 15 and 17. We've been through that middle schools, boys and girls. I'm amazed at how mean, whether there's a difference, disability or, or, you know, someone hearing loss or any kind of challenge. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, yeah. And I I actually taught student taught seventh grade for just a semester. So I've seen it on the teacher side of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Middle school is not kind. Uh, And so I, I, Towards your earlier question of when did I really notice that I was different? Middle school, 100% middle school, and specifically the school cafeteria. It was so loud, was so loud in the school cafeteria. I would struggle to hear my friends. Sure. They weren't 
perhaps my friend group at the time perhaps wasn't as kind at repeating themselves as I would have preferred. And so and they I, I didn't really don't know. Didn't really enjoy lunch. Um, but I had teachers who like, irregardless of my hearing loss, they had this policy of if you wanted, they called it lunch bunch. If you wanted to eat lunch in their classroom with some friends, you could ask permission. So occasionally there would be lunch bunch in a teacher's classroom with my friends. And okay. that was exciting. So that was something sure. I implemented when I was teaching you had to have advanced permission because that is also teacher's time to regroup. So I, I recognize that now that I've taught of how, what a sacrificing gift that was for my teachers. And it was not just for me, it was everybody in the, in the class. Um, but yes. So towards when I noticed a difference that I was different, it's middle school, but I'll also identify middle school as a, a coming of age story. If we wanted to be Hollywood about it, of um, identifying my narrative and how I wanted to present my hearing loss. Typically what I mean with that is who did I want to surround myself with? Who, yeah, who should be invited to walk this journey with me? Because so the friends that I don't feel were as kind repeating themselves, I have no memory of this, but I am told that in, I think it's seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, I got up from the lunchroom table and said I was really done with this. And I walked away and joined a different group of friends from my, from like my science class. Um, and two friends followed me. Two friends followed over that they also were like, this is, I'm not good with this. And they came with me. And so that was a very powerful moment of recognizing what was good for me and what emotional. I mean, I just don't think I had the words then to know that that was an emotionally healthy choice that I made. But I, I, so again, have no memory of doing this, but I apparently got up from the lunch table and went to my guidance counselor's office and just sobbed that I had done this. Um, but I loved my guidance counselor. So talk again about surrounding yourself with people who really speak into your life and support you. My guidance counselor was a safe place for me in middle school to go and process what I was feeling and hearing. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's tough for a 12, 11, 11 year old. I mean, what is there, what kind of support were you receiving? I mean, from your parents to have that sense of self-advocacy. Now, you know, you, of course, had had hearing loss for, by that point, you know, well, your whole life, but um, definitely your whole educational life and social experiences uh, had been not defined by it, but it's been something that's been a part of you. So how did you get there? At that point, as an 11 year old, to be able to self advocate and say, you know what, I'm done now, admittedly, because the lunchroom, especially in middle school, and, and I recognize not only with my own kids, but I remember it becomes the social hub, right? Yeah, you could see each other in the hallways, but man, lunchtime, you're at the table, you're joking and laughing. It's loud. You know, I mean, it's a nightmare acoustically, but so yeah, what, 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 uh, I guess what kind of, uh, advice you know could you give or say what what allowed you or to 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 take that step as an 11 year old yeah and i'm shaking if i know no one can see me i'm shaking my head because i wish i could say it was one person or one situation but it was probably the collection of voices of my parents my older sister my guidance counselor of being a support and letting me talk about what i was feeling Um, What I was hearing, because I think something else with this that I identified in middle school. So and again, lunchroom, lunchroom conversation is how much more I take in facial expressions as a part to supplement my hearing 
And so I, I can recall so was so vividly being offended by their facial expressions when I would say, what did you say? And that was a barrier of, of hurt for me. And so, um, yeah, I, I can't point, pinpoint one thing, but having a supportive home environment, an older sister that I could compare myself with in the best ways of if she can do this and she can have this friend group, why can't I, or if she can do this sport, why can't I, um, how much but, older? How much Three years older. Three, Three years. Yeah. Okay. So I think so, so much of my life has been, or so many of the things I experienced. So talk about choir and voice lessons. Well, she did it. So I couldn't I. And so everything she did, I wanted to try to. I'm definitely the younger sister that had to do everything my sister did. But in looking back on my life, that is so helpful for living a life without barriers is just that constant. Well, if she can do it, why can't I? And then having people around me that would say, well, sure, you can do it, but you let's look at what you might, what supports you might need, the accommodations you might need to do it to the fulfillment of the sport or the activity. So that was, that totally took a turn away from your question. So I don't really have any specific answers, but being able to go home and talk to my family of what I was feeling and experiencing. And then the guidance counselor. So I had someone at school that I had a welcome pass at any time. Could I go see her? at any point. So, and she's still a good friend to this day. Like was invited to our wedding. Somebody I see when I'm back home, talk about a strong voice in my life is is that that was her. That's nice. Yeah. We, uh, so when, when we're in middle school, it's pretty common to have teachers who are only 12, 15 years older than us, you know, which (laughs) at the time it's like, Oh my gosh, as an adult, when you're in your (laughs) thirties, it's like, Oh, you know, we we're the same age. You know, yeah, that's that's really nice. So take us through high school. So take us into high school. What um, you know, any additional challenges? I mean, you're obviously very well. Um, you've developed some extremely helpful and admirable advocacy um, skills for yourself. So tell us what you know high school looked like, and then what what took you into college and what directions you ended up after that? Sure. Ooh. uh, So high school, so my sister's three years older. We overlapped by freshman year. And then after freshman year, my parents would probably sit and tell you that that was when I, so my sophomore year plus was just me. Um, And so that's really, they say is when I really stepped out of my sister's shadow to do what I wanted to do. So, um, I did in high school, I did rowing, I did crew. So my freshman year, my sister was a rower all four years of college. So my first year of high school, I was a rower, which, you know, sounds really great to put the user of hearing aids in a boat surrounded by water and inclement (laughs) weather. I mean, I mean, inclement weather rowers are out there. Like it takes a lot for rowers to not be rowing. And so trying to think through, how do I keep my hearing aids in a boat on a rainy day? Um, Where'd you go? Where'd you go to high school? Upper Arlington. Yeah. My my nephew, my wife's nephew, my brother-in-law's kid uh, rode there. He's 20, I think it's his junior or senior year at Ohio State right now. So he's so he was at Upper Arlington, well, I don't know, about 20, 2014 to 2018-ish. Yeah. Oh, something. long after my time. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. But, so not so. only is that audiology with our mutual friend, but also rowing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And rowing is a whole world. It's a whole world, a whole culture. 
up and down uh, the Scioto River. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I shudder to think what's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so I think one thing I would, I would love for listeners to hear is, um, so, and this is, I know we're talking about high school, but I mean, I did synchronized swimming in elementary school, which again, let's talk about putting somebody in the water. So again, water right. without hearing aids to dance to music that I couldn't hear under the water. Uh, and my audiologist suggested that my coach tap her keys against the metal rim of the pool. So I would count along to the music, hearing the beat of the tapping of the metal in the water. And I just knew where we were in the music. So I did synchronized swimming. I did soccer. I did crew. And again, all of this is my sister normalized it and I wanted to do it too. So it's perfect. And this yeah. is not, you, you, this is not profound deafness per se, where this is just, these are things that you can take advantage of as an individual with hearing loss, even though, yeah, greater degree. And, and that's good for, for our listeners to know this is, these are not, coping mechanisms that can only be appreciated by those born profoundly deaf or those without any language, without any hearing whatsoever. It's definitely, even with hearing aids, even with, you know, having some auditory experience, whether you're in the pool or not. Yeah, that's huge to, to really, to use that for personal support, right? It's like whether you, some people put compression socks on when they go running, others don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> the keys tapping, you're not hearing the music the way you need to. So that those are like your compression socks. Wow. Yeah. Well, and so going into high school, I, uh, at that point, I had tried on all these different sports and I had done musicals and found that I had, I call my home team. So my family, my beloved audiologist, so I keep saying audiologist, but Dr. Gail Whitelaw, I attribute so much of my voice and me to her and her saying, Sure. Let's figure out how to do that. Great. Let's let's figure out. So towards crew. So I did crew in high school. I put a sock on my hearing aid. Uh, and I don't even know if they're still around anymore. But it was just this little sock yeah, that fit over my hearing aid. Mm-hmm. And then when it rained, I wore a bucket hat. <laughs> so I wore a bucket hat that was um, like a that rain material that is in rain jacket. Oh, I love the old man, the golfing hat. Yeah, so I, so I would wear that when it was raining so I could still row um, and be there and be there for my team, which is very important in rowing to, to be – it's a team aspect sport. Didn't want to let my team down. Sure. So – and it was yellow. So when it was raining, everybody everybody knew which boat was ours when it was raining. Well, and black and gold. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good point. Good point. Good point. You're with the school colors, you know, the black and oh, gold. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was an intentional selection, yes. it was, But it was bright yellow. And – I, I, looking back, I'm, I'm impressed I did that. So that took some guts and confidence. And um, so I think coming into high school, I had the language to articulate my hearing loss. I found, and I still believe that if you're willing to share your hearing loss or whatever it is for you to the people around you, people for the most part want to be helpful. People want to um, jump in and, and, I don't know, can help. So having people help me understand what was being said or, um, yeah. So basically I knew how to, how to have conversations. And then it's important too, as an educator to know in high school at 16 was when I got to start going to my IEP meetings. And so I count IEP meetings as really helpful in advancing to college to articulate, sure. articulate what I needed. And then two, if I came home, so this is for the parents out there. If I came home and said, well, I'm having a really hard time hearing this teacher, 
my parents would say, well, did you do anything about that? Or what, what's, what, what approaches and steps did you take? So they're developing within me the advocate to articulate what I needed, but I could go back home and brainstorm with them and kind of practice it and try it out with them. Um, to then go into school the next day with language and knowing that my family agreed that this was a good step and they're at my back. I'd already processed it through with them, but it was always uh, towards my middle school, high school, and now current day, because of course I'm an adult now, um, to have that sounding wall um, to process and think about how to articulate was very valuable and valuable to, to my confidence. Yeah. Was there any other hearing loss in your family? Again, not necessarily family, but any experience. So they're learning and and about mm-hmm. this and strategizing and so forth to support you as much as you are yeah. yourself. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. That's an excellent excellent support system, and 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 really because again, fear you know, is a lot of it and fear of being different, fear of being looked at as different. And and I keep using the word different. I don't, I don't like that. I don't <laughs> just playing with words. No, no, no. But you know, that it, it is, it's fear. It's just like, uh, you know, especially as a child, especially coming up through school, um, you know, the, the self-advocacy piece is, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's absent in a lot of, in too many kids. And too many, you know, that, that, and you saying about the IEP, which is the individual education, visualized education plan as part of the um, IDEA Act of the American Disabilities Act. You participated in that? Well, legally. In, in high school in 16, when you started going to your own meetings? Yeah. I mean, that that's the law. That's your requirement. Well, yeah. But I, I wonder, I don't really remember if I was, in, I, I don't know if I was invited before, but I definitely talked with my parents about it. Um, and IEPs are great. So my, I talk about another person that stands out in my head is my eighth grade social studies teacher, because that was the first year where I had a different, I think this was the first year where the assistive technology went to my hearing aids, perhaps, maybe. Okay. I think so. Um, and so with this microphone, he said, because of my microphone, if you put it on my desk, I will let you sit anywhere in the classroom. And it was the first time I got to pick my seat and it wasn't the front row. And I sat in the back row. And that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, and you didn't lose um, access. You were still, okay, right, right. Yeah, the microphone helped. I picked the back row and I I went back to visit him in probably high school or college because I studied I studied social studies, secondary education. And so I had to go back to visit my mo- my most favorite social studies teacher. And he said it made him so nervous that I picked the back row. But it was that freedom that That's I got true. to pick where to go. And then also, this is now jumping ahead to high school, but IEP tip for parents is the other thing that I got in my IEP in high school that I loved and was so helpful was that I could pick who to sit next to. So to have a friend to say, what page are we turning to? So somebody I knew that I was already comfortable asking questions to. So I didn't have to interrupt the whole class and say, where are we? What page are we on? And call attention to myself. And that friend was obviously very understanding. Is this someone you're friends with typically all from kindergarten on forward or whatever? Just 
So I mean, it varied. It varied because you know who was in my class every time. But um, it, I'm a social person, and so I had to earn this. I had to earn this because I would totally, I would talk in class. I love talking, and so it became a responsibility to understand that I do get to sit next to my friend, and that's really awesome. But I'm given this so that I can check in, do that check-in questions, not chat about the soccer game last night or what I watched on TV. Um, so, so I. I definitely had to earn that responsibility, but I loved not having to interrupt the whole class to ask what page we were on. Yeah. So uh, and you mentioned the soccer again. So what about on the field? What about when you were in practice or yeah. on the field? I mean, you know, coaches, I officiate soccer. So, and then soccer's always been a part of my life. I'm not the jock. I've just had the <laughs> children who played. My brother was the jock. Well, you know, I'm just a, a very engaged bystander. I love the Premier League. And like I said, I've been officiating for a little over a year now. Coaches coach from the sidelines. Parents, yeah. Parents also try to coach from the sidelines. But I mean, you know, during a game and whether or not your coach had that, but even in practice, you know, I mean, how, how did you, how did you, um, you I, know, do, do, yeah, I had to go by my last name. <laughs> I had to go by my last name on the field because I played with the Hannah and my name's Anna. Oh my gosh. And so the amount of time, it took a while to learn this, because the amount of times I'd try to exit the field when Hannah was being called off. I mean, honestly, uh, but, yeah. time. so I went by my last name on the field, very helpful, um, stands out. So it was different, but I wouldn't say otherwise. Also, I'm not a very good sport. I'm, I, it's funny that I talked a lot about the sports that I played in, in our whole conversation so far. I am not an athlete. Um, I just enjoy, I enjoy people. and being oh, So I picked right. team sports, right? Um, but regardless, you're taking instruction from a distance, right? So there is communication that needs to take place. So, I mean, I guess, how did, did, was that something that you found a solution to? Did you need a solution to? It's just, like you said, looking around and and catching, you know, catching the coach's eyes and he could point to you. Yeah. Come on out. Yeah, I don't recall any specific kind of curve or anything we added into that. Other than I was playing with some of my best friends. And so these friends, my friend Catherine, of um, like being a carrier of words to me. Because Catherine and I always played very similar positions. Well, she okay. was defense and I was midfield. Okay. And so she was just, so Catherine's my best friend from kindergarten. So to have her with me from kindergarten all the way through high school and even to present day, I feel like friends just, and my husband does this, just naturally notice when I'm not recognizing or hearing something. And they fill that, they fill that space in for me. And so on the soccer field, I'm certain Catherine did that for me more than I probably ever noticed because it was so natural. Yeah. And it was, I knew it was from my best friend, a place of love and care and understanding. That's great. And you know, I'm, I'm so happy to hear you talk about the, nothing's easy. Okay, but that the ways that you can help yourself, an individual can help themselves, that can recognize they have that support and resource around them. And yes, there is, and you're a wonderful, phenomenal example of it. You know, there is a huge self-advocacy piece um, where you need to be able to say, I don't hear well. I have a hearing loss. 
I need to sit near the front of the room or I need to, you know, I couldn't understand that. What page are we on? Even if it's the person next to you. I mean, that's, that's huge in itself. I mean, I know there's, there's, there's anxieties with just, even if it's a friend, you know, try to look, you don't want to look stupid or look like you're not paying attention or look like, you know, you're not engaged. And so, but it's there and it's not insurmountable in any way. You know, it's, it's adapting just like every one of us does, not just individuals with hearing loss. You know, we adapt to a different commute time. We adapt to different time. We show up to work to a different time. We go to lunch to different, a new family member to living in a new area. You know, so mm-hmm. this is really, really exciting. This is really good to hear. I mean, the listeners are going cool. to And you were really. asked about high school and I don't really know if there's many other stories about high school, but college. Going to college and having that's where so the big difference between high school to college and I worked in a university um, disability support services office. So I I saw this on the staff side as well, Um, articulating and disclosing my disability to professors. Um, Right. Was and it it looks like we lost connection for a bit there, but you heard me through that transition to college. I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so saying uh, the difference between high school to college is college is where I had to identify with the disability office. I had to identify to yes. professors what supports I needed. So that's where that's why I love the IEP meetings start at 16 because you learn the language. The hope is with these meetings, you learn the language, you learn the accommodation. You go to college, you say, this is what's worked really well for me. This is what's been best. And you ask for that in college. But some of that did take going to professors. And so with my um, whatever external microphone I use then, so assistive technology, of, I would introduce myself at the, at the start or end of every class, every semester. Uh, my name is Anna. I have a hearing loss. I have this assistive technology. It's, it's a microphone that you might see out of my desk or if I can't hear you, I might put closer to you. I'll tell you if I need any help or I'll tell you what I need. But I just want you to know that I have a hearing loss. And that's what this microphone is. I'm not recording you. It goes right to my hearing aids. Um, if I'm, I might check in with the classmate page we're on, but I guess, and I, that's usually a short, similar thing to what I was saying, but developing a relationship with them that also develops trust and understanding. So if they do see me talking to the person next to me, sure. understanding that I'm not, not chatting and being rude during their class. It helped too that I was studying education. I mean, let's 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 be honest. Educators are fantastic, and so I'm studying education. So I'm working with people who already have studied how to support people with hearing loss to get their degree or any disability. So I probably had that benefit to the classroom um, of being with educators through and through. Right. We did you find that was well accepted by yes. all your. Professors and folks, good TAs, because again, you got classes where they're they're teaching assistants. These are graduate students, you know, so it's not a so I assistant not- professor, or full professor, right? So they have their own, you know, that's new to them to navigate those sorts of requests. Yeah, I did not have TAs actually. That's so I went to a very oh, okay. school, went to a small school in Holland, Michigan, that I adore and love and impressed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. you're from oh, Columbus, Ohio. You went to school in Michigan. What's wrong with you? No, um, no, no. We're going to have to cut this short. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Anna, I am so glad we got together today. What is that? Oh, my gosh. You do know. Okay. 
So down here, I'm in South Carolina, and we have South Carolina and Clemson. And then you have these license plates or signs that say house divided. Kentucky and Louisville, house divided. So you have people in the house, you know, they might, maybe the wife supports the UK, University of Kentucky, the other one supports you know, Louisville. Or um, pro sports, Bears and Green Bay Packers. You know, these are, and, and in all these situations, these are heated rivals. There's a reason why you don't see that between <laughs> the Ohio State University and that school up north. There is no house divided. No, but I didn't go to Michigan to, to clarify. I didn't go to uh, Michigan. Yeah, I like, no. cool. There's There was a war, the Toledo War, right? The Battle of Toledo, I forget what it was oh, called. Yeah. It all stemmed from a real distaste for those up north and those <laughs> within the state of Ohio. So, so go ahead. Okay, so you went to school in Michigan, a small college? I, yes, and I'm, I'm so proud of my college. I went to Hope College. So very small right. school, small private Christian college on the shores of Lake Michigan. I mean, talk about being near water. Amazing. It's a little um, better. It wasn't a state funded school as long as it's not funded by the right? state. Okay. I can, I'm, that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better and more comfortable with this. <laughs> um, so my school, the, let's see, my graduating class was 800 people. And so the largest class I ever had was I think probably a hundred, 200. And that was a science class that broke down into smaller lab groups. So I still got to know the professor. So the lectures were large, but the labs were small. And I found for me, I, I benefited from being in a small classroom setting. And again, by working with professors. So no TAs. It was always with professors. So I think if they're college students or high school students listening or parents, I think that's something that is worth considering is um, school size. Where are you going to flourish? What's the place? And my advice, I used to work in college admissions. So my advice for students is where do you feel most at home and where will you feel supported and grow and flourish? And for me, it was 100% Hope College talk. I just, um, I loved it. it How did you find so, Hope College? Is it? Uh, did you know somebody had gone there? Was there a alum in your family? Yeah. Some people from my church had gone there, but my sister toured it when I was in eighth grade. And when we got back in the car for her campus tour, she said, well, I don't see myself going here, for, but, but Anna, I see you going here. And it was in eighth grade and we just drove six hours to tour at college. And I was like, cool. Thanks, Gwen. But I don't think so. And yeah. then a flash forward to my junior, if not senior year, she kept asking, when are you going to go tour it? When will you go see Hope? You know, you've got to go tour it. That's my one requirement. So my sister. Say, well, number one, I saw it. You were in eighth grade. You already saw it. Okay. So yeah, it was so far a, from home. video tour. I didn't want to go far from home. I didn't, I didn't want to, it took three campus visits for me to say, this is where I want to go. Okay. Hey, thought it through. You it was great. The, yeah. Wow. So good. So good. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so, what, so you were asking, were people supportive? And so you're talking about TAs and professors. Sure. There are two professors that stand out in my mind. One is a professor who had a beard that made it really hard for me to read his lips. And I told him this one day and it was, I don't even think I meant it to be a point. I think I just like offhand comment. It was not, Hey, your beard's bothering me. It was not that I came in the next class session. He'd shaved his beard so I could hear him. I know. I know. And part of that I think is very much the hope college culture. We are very, we were really a college with a college and culture of care. 
So a, a really great place where there's a culture of care. The other professor that stands out is we were meeting in the chapel basements. So there's no air conditioning. It was a huge fan. I was in the middle of the room and I said, I'm really sorry. I can't hear you. Maybe I'll take this a different semester. It's just one of those gen ed classes. So I was just, I don't know, this isn't working for me. She went and talked to the registrar. And the next class session was in the newest building on campus with air conditioning, like the whole classroom changed. Yeah. Is see, like, even if there's sound field with the speaker that all students can benefit from, now the whole class benefit from air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> Once oh, right. oh, fan, that's okay. unbelievable. Oh. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and now having worked in a disability, a university disability office at they could have been a great ally and resource. I felt that I didn't need to use them as much given how small my class size was, how small the college was, that I could go talk to professors. But talk about flipping and then working. So I worked there two years ago. So a large university. That is an instance where the university disability office and disclosing to them is to a student's advantage is they could have worked with the registrar and made this room change. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So. I loved my college. Yeah. College is such a great time. I hope anyone listening to this, parents, students alike, it's such an important pick. Um, meet with the disability offices when you tour the campus, meet with professors even. I got to talk with current students. Those were the things that made that helped me make my decision. Because I'm going away from home. I'm going away from I mean, I've talked all these last few minutes about the great support system I have at home. And I have that support system by phone and a, and a six hour drive away. But I was then going to a place where I, my audiologist was not there. So who do I go see if my hearing aids break and develop? So, yeah. So did that. you find a clinic? Was there one on campus or were you able to be referred somewhere? Or it was just like when I'm home on break, I'll go check out. Yeah. I did more when I was home on break. I'd schedule um, a meeting with Dr. Whitelaw and we'd you know, do the annual check of my hearing aids. But I did have the name and number of someone she, through her network, found for me in Holland. So I had that if I needed to, but I never had to use it. Okay. At least in college, there was a lot of breaks, a lot of going back home. Yeah. Great. But I did have to find one when I moved to D.C. Yeah. So there you go. So where's, uh, let's, let's go post-college. What's, uh, what's your life look like yeah. now? What's it look like since? I had an internship that changed my life. I thought I would be teaching right now. Totally thought I'd be teaching in Ohio and enjoying it. And I would have loved it. I keep my teaching certification alive. But I came out to D.C. to do an internship and fell in love with D.C. and government work. And so spent my whole that was my junior year. I did the internship and then spent all of senior year trying to get back. And so now I've been in D.C. almost it'll be nine years this fall which I totally thought I was going to do a year or two, come work out in government, move back home. Nope. What, still here. Still what here led, you, what no. led to the opportunity for the internship? Was it a, you know, in alumni. Your, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I interrupted you. Cause I got so excited about it. Um, an alumni from my college. Yeah. So my college did a, and a lot of colleges do this. So I did a DC semester living and learning and interning in DC and so I interned in the House of Representatives and then through an alumni met this whole network of agencies have a center for faith-based and neighborhood partnerships. So important context is I was studying education at a Christian college 
And this alumni said, hey, the Department of Education, Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships Office needs an intern. Would you be interested? Could I introduce you? And I was like, I already have an internship. I'm fine. But then, so DC Life, you always network, say yes, have the informational interview. And I did that at the Department of Education. Totally hit it off with the team and then changed internships there. Gotcha. And that was actually where my first job was after college, too. They had an opening right after college graduation. So my first four and a half years in D.C., I was working in government. Okay. There's the connection. Department ed. Yep. yep. Like, so oh, that's man. why here. And so then I got here. my master's in higher ed. Yeah. So then I got my master's in higher education and have been working in, in a higher education university setting mainly career counselor settings, talking about how to find a job or internship in public service. That's great. That's great. How um, in the workplace now coming out of high school, college, you know, accommodation wise and just generally, you know, what, what, what sorts of resources do you find really are critical to enabling you to be the most to most easily communicate with your degree of hearing loss and and things like that. What are some things that you use that maybe you could, you know, talk about and and that others may be able to benefit from or consider when they're in outside of the school environment? Yeah, I bought my own Phonak Roger pen. I have my own Roger pen. I ended up buying the clip on mic, which I don't even think is a possibility anymore, but I really like um, boutique. It's called Pure Bar. I really like this. It's a workout class. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. My microphone or my teacher will wear my clip-on mic uh, when okay. pre-COVID times when I was going to the, to the gym. Uh, they would wear that. So that would go directly into my hearing aid. So assistive technology, I love, will never stop talking about how amazing it is, how it's been invaluable for my support. So and that's a personal choice. I had been, I used the Roger pen in school. So that's why I knew I liked it. And so then I decided to purchase it once I graduated from college to use in the workplace setting. So large conference rooms, I'll use my Roger pen to pick up the whole room. Um, gotcha. And just to clarify for the listeners, the, the Roger pen is a uh, proprietary technology. It's an FM frequency modulated um, unit that the proprietary piece is it pairs directly with Phonak hearing devices. Um, it can also pair through other ways, maybe a, a telecoil situation, but um, it's it's a frequency modulated dedicated bandwidth um, pretty good range. I think the range is, hmm, I, I mean, I don't know. I'll tell my head it's 80, a hundred yards or something. It's, it's pretty good and it's strong. Um, and a lot of schools, of course, and a lot of, um, it's really the same technology that almost every podium in a conference center uses, if you will, or a microphone that's wireless, right? It's going from the microphone from a speaker and it's being picked up um, by those other speakers to transmit the sound and the Roger pen just transmit directly to the listener, directly to the hearing devices. So, um, so yeah, that's the Roger pen. And it's all, again, like you said, assistive technology that's going to take a sound source and transmit it directly to your hearing aids, your devices 
anyone's devices. And the benefit of that is it is tailored then by the programming of the devices to match, best match your degree of hearing loss. So anyway, so good, so good that that worked. Um, as far as at is vocationally at work, right? Are there any types of assistive, you know, needs that you've had or you pretty good with just the ear level hearing aid for phone and for meetings, just make sure you sit in the right place in the room to hear best. Yeah. Well, I was smiling because something I I did, I, um, my office is cubicle environments and I can't hear when somebody comes up behind me. So I bought a mirror off of Amazon and it's like, I don't know the size of, um, a book. Okay. And I put the mirror, it looks like I'm so vain, but the mirror hangs up so that I can see into the mirror and see if someone's coming behind me. That's neat. So that's a good it's idea. Something I did on my own that's not technology or anything, but has been really helpful in at work. Um, yeah. So I have a little mirror in my cubicle that shows when somebody's coming behind me. Um, and my office loves it. They, they think it's great. I do have a supportive office of. Sure knowing that I can't, I mean, part of why I always share my hearing loss, always one, it's just, it's part of me. That's who I am. It's made me a really fierce advocate for others with disabilities, but two, I never want to accidentally be ignoring somebody. (laughs) I mean, in case I don't hear them and especially in education, I don't want a student to feel like I don't care. And it's just the fact that I didn't hear them come in or, or whichever. Um, the other, so let's just, so you're asking about other supports at work. That's really it between the Roger pen and my, um, Your mirror. mirror. My mirror. <laughs> yeah. That's but great. Life, life accommodations. I love musicals. And so the Kennedy center has an amazing accessibility program. I mean, of course it's the Kennedy center. It's premier. It's awesome. So I have disclosed my hearing loss with, the Kennedy Center to access captioning of musicals. How does which, that work? Yeah, right. It, it's interesting. So one, want to revisit prior to getting captioning. The way I would understand musicals is I would look up the music before going to the show, look up the synopsis, and look up the lyrics, and listen to the music and read the lyrics. So I knew what was happening. Okay. I knew what to expect, and then I would go see the musical. So that's what I did growing up. Now that technology is the way that it is. The Kennedy Center has an iPad that sits on the back of the, what's in the cup holder, or it's either on the back of the person's seat in front of me. And this iPad does live captioning. I know. Isn't it amazing? Why don't we have that everywhere? Oh my God. I would, normal hearing people would benefit from that. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. you go. I mean, you know, we talk about stuff in movie theaters, but let's be honest. You go to a Marvel Cinema Universe movie with the explosions and the loud, and it's great. It's visually very tantalizing and it's it's entertaining. But there's, there's a lot of dialogue that gets lost. Oh my gosh! So it's it's an iPad. So maybe I it's did, an iPad. Maybe. It's an iPad, and, then, and it scrolls across just as it would on a television. I wonder how it's doing that. I mean, I can pick whether it's like a like a Shazam, like it's listening, it's a speech yeah, to text, I, and then just or they have preloaded dialogue. I think, I think they preload it, and they do have an evening where it's um, captioned so that it's across the bottom of the stage. I know. Like this is why there's a lot. 
there's a menu bar or like a a reader like you have you know in Times Square and it just scrolls the the words. What? I, what? Oh, oh my God, that's amazing! Why it's there? Why can't it be everywhere? Right, right. So they have I mean, evenings for that, but I couldn't make. I think it was like Monday evenings, and I couldn't do Monday evenings, and so I had bought tickets for like a Wednesday, and so that was their like workaround. So the Kennedy Center worth checking out their website for the amount of things they do for their. Um, yes, it's amazing. It is amazing. So yeah. what's the what's the capacity of it? Just I've I've been there, but it's been gosh twenty years, and uh, you know how many people is it? Big, huge place. It, I mean, it varies. It varies by theater because they have something like eight different theaters, and so right. a really small one, a huge one. But so I, I once, I, I used to be a subscriber, and that's how I developed this relationship with them. So I was seeing a show every other month. There was a woman that sat next to me, and before the show started, and was very, oh, what is that? It's not going to interrupt my theater experience. Ah, what is this? And I. Always an educator was trying to, you know, be peaceful and nice about this. So internal dialogue is I'm really annoyed that this woman is mad that I have this iPad. So at intermission, she leans over and said, I actually really like that. Is that something I can get to? I know. So it's okay. You said so. So you requested it before the show starts that, okay, that's what you got. Yes. It was something I had to request in advance. That's fine. Now, yeah. for the shows for the shows that don't have that capability, which more and more shows do. So when I would go to New York City, there's now an app, is my understanding. I've never done this, but my understanding is there is now an app that would play on my cell phone with the caption. So same idea of iPad, but my personal okay. phone. And it's dedicated to that theater yes, or something? Yes, and where you log in and then you get, you choose the theater you're at the venue and then it brings up the show times and you click on the show time and then it goes. Okay. That's my understanding of how things are in Broadway. I mean, like pre COVID I've never been able to try that. Just, I love going to musicals. I probably would have gone in the last year if it hadn't been for COVID, yeah. but my understanding is that it exists. Now, if there's not that captioning, I like to get their, um, I don't know, their headphone things. Right. That they right. have the, the FMs. The, the FMs. FM, it's an FM, yeah. Yeah. I would Which will help a little bit. You can put them over top of your yeah. hearing aids. I mean, you can get a little yeah benefit yeah. from that. Wow. That's amazing. I just took a note there. I'm going to check out the Kennedy Center and see so who, cool. well, who, yeah. who is responsible for, for that sort of, um, you know, bringing about that technology, getting that. Because I, I have a nephew, and he's in um, – yeah, I, I want to do it justice, but he's in stage design, uh, you know, audio mixing and he, uh, like audio engineers, again, stage design, things like that. He worked in Vegas for a while and now he's in, uh, I think he's in Denver anyway. And he was talking to me about T-coils, the telecoil, right? He's like, we had this one put in, in this theater and blah, blah, blah. It's amazing. I'm like, amen, brother. You know, that's 1970s technology. And I actually... <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and I actually talked to Juliet Sturkins on the podcast here um, a few few episodes ago, and she's a huge advocate for that. And it, it it's even though I said 1970s technology, it is still for one thing, it's gotten much better and it's not, you know, you don't have the dead spot. There's not the electromagnetic hum. There can be that. And so it's gotten much cleaner. Um but it's so and and yeah, it's a it's a build out situation where, you know, if the it's a pre existing or an existing facility, you can have it put in, but 
I don't know, it's a few thousand dollars. It could be a few hundred if it's smaller, you know, and, and so it's not a million dollar renovation, you know, um, but this at the Kennedy Center, what you're talking about is that's next level stuff. And that's also, that's a thing. And and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because we have a, a few episodes that do go down this rabbit hole. But the stigma piece is so huge still. You know, people don't want to look different, don't want to seem different. All this now, I need help. No, I can hear fine. And it's not just with hearing. There's, there's you know, a lot oh, yeah. of stigmas related to different kind of abilities that people may have and they don't want to look different in this and the other. However, um, everybody has a phone. They don't mind staring at their phone, having it in their hand, you know, so that kind of utilizing that, that iPad and, and like the app on the phone you're talking about for the Broadway uh, theaters is not different. It's not anything that, you know, is that would single someone out. They would feel singled out. So that's, that's a big deal. That's really nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for me, I learned from a young age from my, but the people I call my home team of um, that just it's people want to be helpful. If you ask, what's my fulfillment enjoyment factor out of this? I want to enjoy the show. I want to enjoy the music and the musical. I want to enjoy the television show. So we add captions. Um, like current day example, my church now has Zoom captions because it was something I talked with them about. And what I don't think enough of the world at large understands is captions benefit more than just those with hearing loss. I mean, oh, it certainly. benefits a lot of people. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that's, uh, you know, there's there's those memes about what would you like to keep about current protocols under COVID after we return to normal, you know, and they say, well, stay six feet away from me or <laughs> keep your face covered. But things like that, as far as the accessibility piece, uh, hopefully we're, yeah. we're seeing the value in that beyond just something that those with hearing loss could benefit from. So, yep. so two questions for you to kind of wrap up our time a little bit here. And uh, first one being, what advice would you give parents who are navigating a life with a child who has been identified with hearing loss? Uh, you're, you are your child's first advocate and they are listening and learning from you. And so um, talking about it is important. It's not something to be shoved under the door. Uh, you get to speak into your child's life of how they will perceive something that affects every minute, day of their life. Um, so I think that language matters and how you set an example of, of language. And for me, having a family and parents that said, sure, let's try that. But I know for my parents, they needed to have the support of, of my audiologist. So for them to have somebody to go to and ask questions and learn, and I'm certain they had conversations where I was not there um, was, was very, very important for them. I think we've seen a rise in technology, just a rise of, of understanding of just parents helping other parents. So, um, having somebody to ask questions to, I know has been good for my parents and for the ones, uh, people I've gotten to know since then. So sorry, language matters. You are your child's first advocate. Um, it's okay to also, I think, normalizing that it's okay to be overwhelmed and disappointed too. Um, it's okay to be disappointed in your child's 
diagnosis, whatever it is. Your child, again, is watching, so how you handle it. But but you're, we're human. Right. We are human. So right. um, it's okay to recognize that the vision for your child's life might look different than you thought it would. But I guess prepare to be surprised, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I certainly have done more things and than I, I think my parents probably thought I would do. But I had the wonderful their support and my audiologist support and now my husband's support to try things out for size. Try it mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And so second question would be for young adults, okay, or just general adults, you know, after you've you've left the yeah, I'm school, high school IEP support exams. Well, as you navigate your own life, you are now, you know, in greater and greater um, yeah, control or you are experiencing life as, again, a young adult, as an individual, as not someone's kid, as not, you know, outside of the family. What what kind of advice would you give for or what what, what kind of considerations do folks need to keep in mind? Ooh, I mean, who try not to care as much that you things might look different. So I'm thinking about how I enjoy musicals. I had to go ask for the captioning and it has been, I mean, talk about like light bulb hitting a student's face when they make the connections, my enjoyment and fulfillment of the arts, because I asked for this has, is there's so much benefit to being an advocate, so much benefit for asking. I guess the question is, what do you have to lose by disclosing? Maybe you find out that somebody isn't who you thought they were, and that's disappointing. And that's, that's, I certainly have walked down, it's disappointing, but I think there's so much to gain by disclosing uh, to the people that are around you, to the circumstances that you might find yourself in. Um, but then, too, if you, like me, benefit from technology like the Roger Penn, it's 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 expensive, but I think it the payoff has been big. Um, yep. My life dream, which is not an answer to your question, but why aren't hearing it's covered by insurance? So for all of us to use our collective voices to tell um, state, local, federal officials that hearing aids aren't cosmetic as they're listed in insurance. That's so, silly. That's a barrier for people, and that's yeah. a barrier that should not exist. If I can get glasses, should also be able to get hearing aids to hear. So, so look to be engaged in their own well-being and needs mm-hmm. of the of theirs and just the population well, of individuals with hearing loss in general. One thing that just came to mind that I didn't say is also normalizing therapy. Totally normalizing it. Of I did have to with my with tinnitus particularly um, grieve my hearing loss as an adult, and so seeking out therapy to support the process of that was something I wish more people did, irregardless of hearing loss. Therapy is there; it's often covered by insurance. It's for your mental, emotional well-being. It's a good investment. It is a great investment. And I wish they're also talking about stigmas earlier. I wish there wasn't a stigma around therapy. Yeah. 
True. That's true. And hopefully, I mean, I've seen it myself. I have someone that I talk to, not hearing loss related, um, that that just mental health challenges, uh, psychological challenges in general are real. Um, There is a... (sighs) There is something going on. It's not necessarily subjective. Um, you're not just imagining that you have these thoughts or why you let certain things get to you a certain way and all that. There is a real um, a real value in addressing mm-hmm. that health need. So that's I'm glad I'm really, really glad you said that that's that is so true. And and hearing loss is another piece of it's another stressor, another um, source of anxiety that we deal with um, that is going to take our mind in directions that we otherwise wouldn't let it go. Um, it's going to make us focus on maybe the wrong things at the wrong times or take our focus off you know, other things that are important at that time, even if it's just a matter of taking our mind off of what is best for us, you know, and that's not selfish, right? That's, uh, that's reality. Um, we hear, take your vitamins, you know, take your vitamins, eat right, exercise, take care of yourself. Well, you got to take care of your mental health too, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, Anna, this has been a pleasure. I'm so glad to know you. I'm so glad we got connected. You are you are a joy. Uh, I really appreciate everything that you said and talked to when we discussed today and that you provide for our listeners. And I really I want to wish you all the best in D.C. Keep having, you know, I mean, great luck. I'm glad you love it there. That just like you said about about being um, like in college, a place you're that feels at home, that feels comfortable. It's so good to have found that just after, you know, as a young yeah. adult, as a professional. I mean, that's that's tough. And this comes from somebody who's bounced around before I got into audiology, um, before I got my degree, my graduate, went back to graduate school. I was a transportation um manager in transportation with FedEx. I was a service center manager. Oh man, you go where it's needed, right? Where the next promotion is. I live so many places that I just didn't want to be, you know, it just wasn't home. So it's so important. It's so good that you found that. So yeah. quickly. No, I'm very grateful. Very grateful. And one thing I didn't talk as much about as I probably should have, but for for listeners out there where this, this touches with them, but I am a Christian. So I feel that my life has been just saying yes to where God leads me. And so that's something I haven't talked as much about as I I normally do, but so much of my confidence, so much of my, um, the like backbone that got me to stand up from the middle school table was knowing that Bible verse of I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that was something that my parents said to me over and over and so I think a question, unspoken question of all this is where do I get my confidence and advocacy from? It's knowing that I am, this is the way I was made. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot for me to get to that point. It sure. did. I really did have to go to therapy and talk to friends and talk to family. But there is a purpose and mission to all of our lives. And I think sharing my story and my hearing loss is one way that I point towards grace and, and fulfillment um, and love. So I just could not end without saying that because that is the home base for how I've approached this in my life. Yeah, that's that's critical. The support is not always just other people 
or other things, yep. you know. Yep. That's, yeah. uh, and I know that I know that that is different for everyone, but for other listeners out there that needed to hear that, that's where I got my my voice and story from, my faith. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. But thanks for having me too. I know we are concluding here. This was wonderful, and now I have to go listen to all your other recordings. This was so. Great. Right. Yeah. So yes, and by so as this is published, there will be so we are published, we are recording, I'm sorry, the week before well, yes, the week before launch. So everything will launch live by May first. This will be one of the initial recordings. Uh right now we're on track to have ten. I might just do eight, only because you know, life, right? Life and that 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 nine to five job just gets in the way sometimes. And anyway, <laughs> um, but no, definitely, definitely least eight. And so, uh, if you're listening to this now, hey, all our listeners, definitely make sure you uh, click subscribe, go back, listen to uh, all episodes before this, and uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate everything you do. We appreciate all the listening and all the support you give us. So, Anna, a pleasure. Enjoy. It's been great. I'm glad to know you. I'm glad I can say I know a few people in D.C., but, you know, definitely now if I ever get up to D.C., maybe I shoot you a text. You're completely allowed to say no. OK, so I don't want obligation. You can say, you know what, guy? Eh, it was nice. We had a good talk, but otherwise I'm just not real. Hey, I get it. OK, I understand. Don't feel bad. I'll be like, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, no, anyway. I'll have I'll have to show you the Kennedy Center. Awesome stuff yes. there. So, let me know. You're 100 yeah. right. That's that's. I, I know you're married, so this isn't appropriate. But that's a date. Okay, we will do that. That's a Bring really your family. Oh, I would. Oh, yeah. oh no, I would. They DC come. is so great for families and tours. Yeah, it so. is. We and we we'll actually. Yeah, you're 100 right. We actually, I lo- I love DC, and I'm not saying that because you're on the phone. I got a buddy who's at the Pentagon. Um, he's a, a full bird colonel. And um, he lives in Falls Creek. Is that a place? Falls Church. Falls Church. That's where he lives. Yeah. Yeah. Falls Creek's yeah. over, over outside of Providence in Massachusetts. Anyway, um, I love going up and visit him. And okay. and the fact that you can just go to all the museums now. I haven't been. Last time I was there was last September. Well, the September of 2019. So, um, but you know, you, you walk around the mall, you can see all the monuments. You just and, and restaurants. Oh, great food! Great the wharf, the district. That's new. Yeah. I, so until 2019, I hadn't been there since 2010, 2009. So oh, I guess yeah. the wharf has become a thing. The district wharf. Did, okay, that was that was. Thing. And there's, there's two phases to the wharf. So you've seen wharf phase one complete. There will be a phase two. I think this year. It's I awesome. don't know. I don't really leave my house in COVID, so I don't really know what's. Well, going right. On. Yeah, I understand. You know exactly. I wouldn't either. I know. But I wouldn't Smithsonian, either. Smithsonian's reopen next month. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Here there is light ahead. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, oh wow. Well, all right. Go enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your week. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. Thank you. Have a good one too. Anna Hartke, folks. I hope you enjoyed her story. She's had quite a journey and is continuing to live life. 
And if you like what we're doing here, hit subscribe and leave us a rating. We appreciate you. And remember, continue living life aloud. Edited by me, music by Lauren Zettler. Until next time.